From the courtroom to the tabloids, welcome to All Rise. All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host, Dylan Howard. Vanished into thin air. In what is one of the most perplexing cases in recent memory, the search is underway for a 13-year-old teenager from Wisconsin who disappeared after her parents were found shot to death in their modest rural home. We have an exclusive interview and new details as the hunt for Jamie Kloss continues. At last, Jennifer Garner moves on. She's in love with a regular Joe. Ben Affleck who? Garner's secret romance with a handsome CEO is so serious he's even met her kids. We'll have the very latest details direct from Hollywood. Plus, Ariana Grande's split with Pete Davidson. What effect did Mac Miller's suicide have on the end of that relationship? The Mooch is here to go one-on-one with me. He's here to delve deep on his personal life. How his marriage imploded after three years and then reconciled with the birth of his now 15-month-old son, James. This is All Rise, Season 2, Episode 1. Breaking news. Two vehicles of interest being sought in connection with missing Wisconsin girl, Jamie Kloss. That is the breaking news from the Wisconsin sheriff who says that officials are still searching for Jamie and indeed have zeroed in on two vehicles in the case of this missing 13-year-old girl whose parents were murdered in cold blood and then she vanished. Joining me on the line is Nick Hatzistasio, a national correspondent for Radar Online. Nick, what's the very latest? So they've released two vehicles, possibly three, um, from surveillance that they obtained at a local, what a source says, gas station a few miles from Jamie's home. What we learned this morning that hasn't been released yet, and we're trying to zero in on it, is that there was actually an escaped mental patient that was spotted by two people at a gas station not too far from where Jamie disappeared. Now, the vehicles that they've released, in my opinion, they're so vague, they didn't tell us if the plates were from Wisconsin or if they're from Ohio or if they're from any other state. There are millions of those vehicles in production of each one. So we're looking for, what, 10 million vehicles. I think it's kind of a wild goose chase for the public. Obviously, law enforcement is trying to keep as much information close to their vest in order not to jeopardise the investigation and the potential rescue of Jamie. But of course, her parents, Dennis and James, were found shot to death in their homes in the early hours of October 15. Police responded to an unusual 911 call where no one spoke. Nick, are you suggesting that this potential suspect, this mentally disturbed individual, might have been the one responsible for the execution-style murders of Jamie's parents? It's definitely a possibility given two people noticed this mental patient that escaped from the local news channel. They had noticed him uh, on the same day, hours before Jamie went missing, hanging out at a gas station. It was him and one other person, which would explain the two vehicles they're seeking. So it's definitely a possibility. Um, What we do know, though, is that a source close to the investigation told Radar Online that 
they are following a digital footprint, which could mean Tinder, Snapchat, Facebook, and they are very positive, if not 100% positive, that she is still alive. So it could be a case where she was talking to a boy who said he was a boy her age, and he was giving her advice, and it turns out he wasn't her age, and he was a psychopath. That could be one of the scenarios here, but the FBI are very certain that she's alive, and we don't get that too often where they'll say we are 100% sure that she is alive. John Lieberman, out to you, formerly of America's Most Wanted and the Howard Stern Show. This is a baffling case in so many ways. John, explain some of the theories that people have speculated about given the parents' murder and then her disappearance. Yeah, I mean, Dylan, to your point, this is a baffling case. I mean, I was at America's Most Wanted for seven years. I've seen almost every kind of crime there is. And what is so kind of confusing about this one is that you rarely see a case of a a double murder. Somebody in the home actually survives and then is abducted, which is what appears happened here. And that's really the, the rare part. And to agree with Nick, my federal law enforcement sources are also corroborating that they too believe Jamie is still alive. So what are they looking at right now? They're looking at a number of different possibilities of what could have happened. Number one, this community is infiltrated with, uh, with meth. This is a community where meth is the number one public safety issue and the number one drug problem. And so they're looking at anybody who is uh, attached to the meth community and to see if anyone there could possibly be involved. They're also looking at this theory of sex trafficking. Was Jamie abducted uh, in order to be sex trafficked? What we have learned is there are 32 registered sex offenders uh, within just three miles of this home. Now, 32 may not sound like a large number until you take into account that the population here is about 3,000 people. So 32 registered sex offenders in a very concentrated area uh, is is certainly um, cause for concern. So law enforcement is looking at the meth. They're looking at the sex trafficking. They're looking at also the possibility that perhaps the killers hit the wrong house, that maybe this was a burglary gone bad or a robbery gone bad, or they were targeting somebody else. They came across this house and they freaked out for lack of a better word, killed the parents and abducted, uh, you know, abducted Jamie. I think the working theory though, right now, and this goes along with Nick's reporting as well, is that there was some sexually deviant reason that Jamie was abducted. She was most likely the target here. And of course, the big question is why kill the parents? Why not target Jamie after school or things like that? These are all questions that we, that we don't know. 
but but that seems to be the working theory right now that some sexually uh, deviant person or persons um, wanted to abduct Jamie and uh, and and have her have their way with her. But again, the 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 one piece of positive news is law enforcement does believe that she is still alive. And furthermore, there's a huge ground search going on right now uh, in the area. Not sure why it took a week um, to conduct a, a wide scale search, but this is a rural area. There's a lot of cabins. Um, there's a lot of underbrush, and so that's the focus of the search right now. What baffles me, though, is the execution-style murders of Jamie's parents. If a deviant wanted to kidnap her for nefarious reasons, clearly, they could do so as a 13-year-old left school. Why murder the parents? And that is the big question. Why murder the parents? Did they get in the way? Um, were, you know, these, uh, the, the door was kicked in. So clearly there was some sort of, of forced entry, which points to, you know, something like a burglary or a robbery, but that doesn't make sense because nothing was missing from the home. In fact, the dog in the home was even left, you know, alive uh, in the home as well. So I agree why kill both parents? And so then you start to look at, well, you know, did the parents have uh, some sort of problem with somebody that they worked with? Because again, small town, both parents worked at a, at a turkey processing plant, the Jenny O plant in town, you know, is this some sort of uh, revenge or retaliation against the parents? Were the parents involved in any sort of, uh, of drug activity or anything like that? So all of these are questions that, that law enforcement is certainly looking at. Now, Barron is a town of about 3,000 people. A small community, as John pointed out, is dominated by a turkey plant where both of the Kloss parents worked. Now, Natalie Posner is a reporter for In Touch magazine. She spoke to a neighbour of the Kloss family, Joan Schmeeker. Let's take a listen to that interview now. Nick, has this been a bungled investigation from the outset in the sense that the search wasn't really activated for a period of time? I think that the biggest alarm here is the fact that law enforcement went to the home for an apparent suicide. They get there and it took them a couple of hours to realize a child was missing. It shouldn't take you a couple of hours to realize a child is missing. If somebody loved ones are gunned down the the father's brother the mother's sister somebody would come pretty fast and say where's jamie it it doesn't really take it's not rocket science that a child might have gone missing i think they could have definitely gotten on the perpetrator's path much sooner but they said and they've said it many times that we didn't realize a child had been missing for many hours i'm not sure why it would take that many hours and in a rural area like this 
shouldn't really take one week to obtain surveillance footage. John, those days immediately after a crime are pivotal to solving a case. Do you agree that this was botched? You know, botched is a strong word. I will say this. This is a community, and I agree with you completely. I mean, look, the first 12 to 48 hours are the most important time frame for any sort of missing persons investigation, uh, let alone when you have a clear primary crime scene, which police have here. I will say this. The, the sheriff's department is not used to dealing with homicides. Um, I think some of that does. Uh, I mean, it's obvious <laughs> that they're not. And, and some of what we're saying was botched um, is, is just a lack of dealing with it every day. You're not talking about the NYPD uh, or the Chicago Police Department. Mm. So, so we're saying botched, yes. Definitely it took some time for them to get this full-scale investigation underway. Luckily, they did bring in the feds. They brought in some people with some expertise. And there's another interesting – there's not a lot of, of violent, violent crime in this area. But it's interesting. There are some unsolved cases – One's from 1996, a missing persons case, uh, Sarah Bushland. The other was the murder of, a, of another team, teen, rather, uh, Crystal Solier. So these happened in that general area and are unsolved as well. So it's another something that law enforcement can look at. Intriguing. John Lieberman, Nick Hatzi, Star CEO. Thank you very much for joining us on All Rise. And we're all hoping and praying for the safe return of Jamie Kloss. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dylan. All right. Following her tumultuous three-year divorce battle with Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner finds happiness again with a sexy tech entrepreneur. Joining me on the line is Us Weekly senior editor Jen Hager, who is breaking this story in the latest issue of Us on Newsstands Now. Jen, what can you tell us about Jennifer Garner's life after Ben? So Jen Garner has found true love after her tumultuous relationship with Ben Affleck. Um, Her new boyfriend, they've been dating since February of this year. There have been rumors going around for months, and we've been all over this story. He is indeed a tech entrepreneur, and he also owns a restaurant chain of burgers called Cali Burger. Um, It's a direct competitor to In-N-Out Burger, and they have been spotted together at the Pasadena, California location of the restaurant. And I'm told by sources close to the couple that it is indeed very, very serious, very fast. He does look a bit like Ben Affleck, I must say. He does, and he's extremely handsome, but he could not be more opposite from Ben. Um, According to sources close to um, John Miller, this is her new boyfriend, um, he is not a womanizer. He is not a – he doesn't have any substance abuse issues. His biggest vice is that he's a workaholic. So this is a staggering development for Ghana because she's been – On again, off again with Ben Affleck. The divorce was on hold at one point. Now the divorce is being ushered through the courts. She has three children with Ben, but seemingly she couldn't let go of him. But it now seems as though she really has made the decision to walk away. 
it seems as if she has, but one has to wonder since she's gotten so serious with John Miller so fast, if this is really indeed true love or if she is just tired of Ben's antics and perhaps maybe thought if I get involved with someone that might get him to clean up his act, who knows? I don't think we've seen the end of Ben Affleck and Jen Garner. What is the latest with Ben Affleck? Is he still in rehab or treatment? He has been out of treatment for a little bit now. He was spotted over the weekend um, going to church without the children and without Jen. Um, He is on the rocks or has just recently broken up with his playboy playmate girlfriend. So he seems to be floundering a bit right now. And not so long ago, Ben actually released a statement via his own Instagram in which he announced that he'd completed a 40-day inpatient program, but he said that he would remain in outpatient care. And I quote from his statement, the support I have received from my family, colleagues and fans means more to me than I can say. It's given me the strength and support to speak about my illness with others. Now, Ben entered rehab in August after an intervention that was indeed staged by Jennifer Garner. Jen, do we have any idea whether Ben and Jen are on talking terms? Are they co-parenting? What can you tell us? They are on very, very good terms. Um, They do co-parent together. Jen has always been a staunch advocate of having Ben in the children's lives. She could have made... Um, matters much worse for him as far as custody issues in their divorce proceedings had she chosen to. But she obviously decided very early on that that was not the tax she was going to take. And she wanted the children to be very much a part of his life. They have joint custody of the children and then has been spending time with the kids at her house. Wow. Okay. Well, this is a story that's breaking in the latest issue of Us Weekly. After 10 years of marriage, seemingly a happily ever after, at least for now, for Jen Garner. Us Weekly senior editor Jen Hager, thank you very much for joining us on All Rise. Thank you so much, Dylan. A short break and then another love story. This one, though, travels to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and takes a tabloid twist It's the Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, and Mrs. Mooch, Deidre Ball, opening up about how they were able to revive their seven-year romance. People will remember Anthony Scaramucci as the communications director, or perhaps the short-lived communications director, in President Donald Trump's White House. He was seemingly fired after a profanity-laced outburst directed at one of his colleagues, exposed in the pages of The New Yorker. But Anthony Scaramucci's life took a twist soon thereafter, and he became a tabloid staple, not because of that outburst, but because of his three-year marriage to wife Deidre Ball. Now, Anthony Scaramucci has released a new book, and he and his wife join us on All Rise. First of all, Anthony and Deidre, congratulations on reconciling your marriage. Thank you. (laughs) 
I don't even know if that covers it. Congratulations. Well, well, I mean, that covers it. I'll, I'll accept the congratulations. I mean, the <laughs> fact that she's still with me is a miracle for me. So I'll accept the congratulations. So I wanted to ask you, Anthony, it was a short-lived visit to the White House, one that ended in, I guess, if you like, tabloid turmoil and most certainly did affect your marriage to Deirdre. How did it affect it? Well, I mean, there's a, you know, what I love about you, because you, you're, you've got that beautiful accent and you're <laughs> using those wonderful euphemisms, it was an unbelievable, unmitigated fiasco. That's how I look at it. <laughs> but, 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 but I appreciate your euphemisms and your diplomacy. And so there was a combination of things happening. I'll, I'll let Deirdre chime in on her perspective. But my perspective is I was offered to be the president's uh, uh, OPL director, the Office of Public Liaison, and then Rice, Priebus, and Bannon were using their political shenanigans and their political operative-like ways, those ways that everyone in America hates about Washington, to block me from that job. And then I did the absolute stupidest thing that a person can do. I put my pride and my ego into my decision-making and I became very hell-bent on trying to get a job inside the White House to the extent that I was ignoring my wife, totally subsumed with that quote-unquote ambition. Uh, if I want to be brutal to myself, I can call it blind ambition. Uh, the marriage started fraying. We started having uh, spits and spats. And then, Without even telling Deirdre, I went and got the job in the White House as the communications director. Of course, that went really bad. You didn't bad. tell her? Well, to be honest, we, no. See, this is like, you know, the timeline is bizarre, but we I had filed for divorce already before he took that job. So, honestly, we weren't even on speaking terms. So, I found out about him getting the job over, like, a news uh, flash on my, on my cell phone, which was totally weird. But... You know, in all fairness to him, he wasn't, we weren't even talking at the time. So for him to call me and tell me that would have been bizarre. But that just goes to show you how bad things are. We couldn't even pick up the phone to tell each other, like, hey, I got a job in the White White House. Like the most monumental thing someone could tell somebody. We weren't even speaking enough to, to go there. So it was really bad. But, you know, Anthony's obviously a very, uh, interesting guy. He's very complex and, uh, when I married him, I knew he was complex, but I didn't realize just how deep those layers went. So when he got wind of this whole Trump thing, he was like gung-ho. And so everything else kind of fell by the wayside. But we've totally corrected course. So I'm not going to smash him too much. But Well, I mean, let me say this, okay? Once, once, <laughs> once, I know you would love me to do no, that. No, but listen, once the, debacle, once the debacle ended and I was sitting there as like a cinder crisp on the, on the road, I went to, and this is what I love about the tabloids, right, Dylan? We have a perp walk at our first divorce court yeah. meeting. There's Deirdre perping into the divorce court, and I'm perping into the divorce court, and I literally see Deirdre's Uncle John and her Aunt Eileen, and I like them. I was about to say hello to them, and I was like, okay, wait, 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 I can't say hello to them. They're the quote unquote. Wait, I can't say hello to them. I just ruined their niece's life. She's about to jump (laughs) off the Empire State Building. So let me not go say hi to them. No, I was like, I'm supposed to treat them like the enemy. You see how rude she is? Like that interruption? (laughs) No, I'm telling you like it is. Yeah, she's telling it straight, Anthony. 
run this woman yeah. over with a truck for a year, but then I'm going to go say what's up to her dad's brother. <laughs> I don't think so. She wears Dylan, the pants. I thought, you were, a, no, I thought she... you were a male host of a podcast. Males she... are supposed to stick no, together. You no, realize that? Okay. No. Don't act like a female podcast. No, I no, feel, I feel no. your feminine energy coming through the phone. Oh, you, you feel his feminine energy? No, okay, like, well, she wears the pants in this head. relationship. And to be honest with you, so she should. So she should. Well, now, yeah. Let me let me tell you what, though, okay? Here's the thing. Don't put your ego into things. If you really, really love somebody, don't let your pride and ego get in the way of that. Try to break it down. Uh, you know, humble yourself. I have I, better advice, though. Okay. This is the deal. And then we'll let you get back to being, like, the person in charge of your own podcast. Um, <laughs> if you are not feeling your spouse anymore if you're not digging your spouse i always say this to anthony and we had this pact before the whole nightmare but i think we reinstated it now but he didn't hold up his end of the bargain but if you're not like into your significant other anymore you if you have the obligation to tell them before you start ignoring them or going about your business you have to tell the person that's my piece of advice it's so much harder to do than to just ignore it but you have to tell the person listen i'm not i'm not into this anymore i have to go so that's my advice to people cut bait when you're not into it anymore my my advice to people if you really love your wife and you're acting like an imbecile and you get your pride and ego in place drop it and try to reconnect and so uh you know one of the one of the things that happened to me dylan and i'm i'm a little embarrassed to admit this to you but i'm going to share it anyway it was literally like being in an alternative universe. It was like being Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life, hmm. where my car crashes into the bridge. I bump my head. I'm in this alternative universe. I don't like it. And I'm saying, myself, God, if I could only get my wife back, God, if I could only get my life back, uh, could I get my business back, please? And so I'm sitting here today, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, where I have an appreciation it's almost like what Scrooge says at the end of A Christmas Carol, treat every day like it's Christmas Day, treat every day like, okay, thank God, uh, and have an appreciation for what you have. Don't be looking over the fence, okay, or in the case of the White House, don't be looking over those steel, black-painted uh, guardrails, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, try, try to keep yourself in, you know, in check, stay humble. And, uh, but this is another very big, wait, uh, well, I'm saying the other thing is if you're making them colossal mistakes like that, your first move is you have to forgive yourself. Otherwise you'll have the millstone of regret around your neck for the rest of your life. I want to take you back Deidre to July 24, the day that you went into labor, it should have been the most exciting moment of your life, but did you hit rock bottom there? I definitely hit rock bottom. That was, it's such a bad thing to say because our son is such a blessing and he's actually like the man. He is so cool as a human, but it was a, that was probably one of the hardest days of my life. I mean, I had a lot of hard days during that year, but other than my, the day my dad passed away, that was like, I don't think you could find a harder thing to go through really. Um, personally. And that was for listeners because Anthony wasn't there. Anthony was in West Virginia and was not by your side. Well, the worst part is I had no, yeah. And I had no idea where he was actually. So that was even more bizarre. Well, I mean, she didn't, you know? you know, she was so mad at me. She didn't tell me that she went into labor. <laughs> uh, but the truth of the matter is, even if she told me, mattered. 
it wouldn't have mattered. Matter. I was stuck in, there. I was stuck in West Virginia. There's a 60 mile, no fly zone around the president's plane, air force one. There would have been no way to get back. And listen, it was an unmitigated disaster, but you want to know something. Thank God the baby's born very healthy. He's a beautiful kid. Uh, love him to death. And, uh, Hopefully, I'll never Google himself. Well, no. I, in fact, if anything, I'll, I'll Google it. I'll Google, I'll Google it for him. I'll say, listen, your dad's a little bit of a bonehead. But the truth of the matter is, I'm filled with a lot of love and passion for life and for you and for your mother. And so the, the truth of the matter is, it happened. And what I can't do is I can't change the past, Dylan. And I always tell people this. Whatever the problems are that you have, if you can't change the past, try to make the future better. Try to make the present the best that it can possibly be. The search for a perfect past is an impossibility, but you have to let it go. If you can't let it go, you can't live in the present and be the truest, best version of yourself. So what I don't understand is why you asked for a paternity test. Yeah, me either, right? So, you know, what I... You know, Waddy lost his goddamn mind, I think. Okay, well... Did you have a Charlie Sheen meltdown moment? He well, did. I'm taking him. I was actually thinking of taking him for like a, to a neurosurgeon to make sure all of the uh, stuff is connecting up there. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm happy to go to the neurosurgeon, <laughs> but like, but Dylan, you sort of know this from the bit. You sort of know this from the business that you're in. When you go into the nefarious business of Washington and politics, they try to destroy you. Okay. It is the politics of personal destruction. Okay. So they were bop, dropping bombs on me. Okay, to affect Deirdre's view of me, and they were dropping bombs on her to affect my view of her. I'm, I'm, I'm. By the way, I'm not. I'm not blaming anybody other than myself for the mistakes that I made. But I will tell you this: in 11 days, I got a PhD on the swamp and on the nefarious operational research and negative activities that go on there. And I really have a full, under, full blown understanding why the American people honestly hate these people which is what created the pathway for Donald Trump to become president. But having said, listen, listen, another piece of unsolicited advice. If you're with somebody for 10 plus years and you have children, you should probably check with the person on the facts before you go assuming that whoever's telling you this is legit (laughs) because that is insane. So that's a good piece of advice. I, 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 I screwed. Look, I'm trying to be a profane free person. Listening to you two is amazing. It, it, seriously, it, listening to you two is staggering to consider the roller coaster romance that you've had. You sound like you're stronger than ever. Well, I, I feel that. So weird. I, I feel think, that way. I really love this person. We, uh, that was what was always so weird about it because we were always like this, you know, and then I was like, what the hell happened to him? You know, he like checked out for him. And so we came back so the way we were before, but I think we have a better, better. understanding of each other. I think other. we came back better. But yeah. Dylan, let me tell you something. I will accept the blame and I will take the responsibility for what I did. And I'm hoping to God that, that we can continue. I, I take responsibility on, too. He's not a hundred percent, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't, I've done plenty of things, but, wrong, we're, we're, but we're cool. We're, we're much better than but, we were. But let me tell you something. Okay. After watching this documentary that these guys did on me, uh, they were following me around for, since 2014, I happen to curse a lot, Dylan. You probably knew that already. Yeah, my mother's like, I can't believe you curse like that. He's like, who do you think I learned it from? I mean, you know, what do you think was going on in the house? You know, but I'm trying to curse less now. 
that infamous phone call. Let's take a listen at that audio right now. And Ryan is and paranoid schizophrenic, paranoiac. And what he's going to do is, oh, maybe Bill Shine's coming. Or Let me leak thing and see if I can block these people the way I block Scaramucci for six months. My kudos to Chris Cuomo, who forced him to release the tape. And then Cuomo looked at him and said, this is like a normal conversation between two guys in a bar. Why did you make it so salacious? Answer, me and David Remnick were trying to get the guy blown out of his job, and they were successful. But that was very transactional of these guys. They weren't thinking in the long term. Play the long ball in life, you know? Deirdre, what did you think when you heard that audio? Well, I told Anthony, I I really actually, I know it sounds so so crazy, but I was actually very worried about him because when you read that, just like the text of it, you, he sounded nuts. So like everything that went on between us and then the paternity test and then reading that and the whole whatever, everything okay, when else. When you listen to the audio, did it sound that nuts? It didn't sound that nuts. Because no. I know you, but if, yeah, like if someone doesn't we'll know you, deal. they might think you're nuts. Okay, but, come on. You grow up in a, hey, Dylan, you grow up in a blue-collar family. You become a nouveau riche rich guy. You have a tendency to curse a little, but you know that. Yeah, well, I, look, I curse I, a lot, I, too. When I read it, I was worried. I have to admit, I was pretty concerned well, about look it. Look at that. Dylan's making an admission here on his own I podcast. Curse. So I curse all a lot. Ri- all, all rise. Dylan happens to curse a little bit. Did you hear that? I Yeah. Anthony, yep. what's your relationship like with President Donald Trump today? No, listen, uh, he's always been good to me. If I call him, he returns my call. I haven't talked to him in a while. We Last conversation was related to trade, which is probably late summer. Uh, you know, he calls me. Uh, you know, I will obviously pick up the phone immediately. And when I call him, I usually get a return phone call inside of 24 hours. But I don't have a reason to call him right now. Having said that, I do think if he reads my new book, The Blue Collar President, I think he'll like it because I... I talk a lot about Fred Trump in the book and about his relationship with his father and how they built those businesses. And, you know, listen, I'm fond of the president. I know uh, Deirdre's less fond of him. She's more. That's what I was going to ask. Deirdre, what do you think of the president? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on him, obviously, because he impacted my life in a way that I never would have imagined ever. Growing up in New York, he was he's like a New York staple. He's always been somebody that's on the tip of the tongue of a New Yorker. And um, I just find it so bizarre the amount of the impact that he's had on my life personally. Um, So I think I'm obviously a little bit biased, a little bit jaded. I'm not in love with him, I have to say. I think his style is super abrasive. I I thought he was kind of charismatic and funny um, when we would see him in social settings. But it was a very limited exposure that I had to him. You know, he's kind of charming, and you get the whole thing about him that you know you could see how he'd be appealing for five or ten minutes <laughs> at a Yankee game. But <laughs> to run the country, and then the way he's had this like very bizarre effect on people—they either go bonkers, or with like where they need to be in his inner circle, or they go bonkers with just can't get far enough away from him, hate him. So. I'm I'm in awe of the effect that he has on people and I think it's it's like so divisive and toxic. So I'm not I'm not into him. I don't like the spell he had on Anthony, but again, that was Anthony's choice. He's a grown man. Um but I think he's he's ripping apart our country. He may be doing some great things policy-wise, but I think he on the human scale and on the human level, I think he's blowing us all to smithereens. People wake up, like, angry every day. It's, it's so crazy. Well, yours is one story. 
that is a tale of triumph over tragedy. On the brink of splitting, you were able to reconcile your seven-year relationship and this interview has been fascinating because it is really life lessons in how to save a marriage. And I wanted to thank both you and Anthony for your time. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for, um, you know, taking, this is kind of a nice way to end this whole debacle because I feel like we're leaving on a good note. We're ending on a good note. People are not leaving with a sour taste in their mouth about the mooch and me, the missus. I think we're totally, (laughs) I think people had it totally pegged completely differently than we really are. So this is a nice thing to do. I, I appreciate you giving us the, the platform. Yeah, you're the, you're the man. You guys are great. And you can read, of course, the story of how Deirdre and Anthony saved their marriage in the latest issue of Us Weekly on Newsstands Now. Thanks for your time. Anthony's book, Trump, the Blue Collar President, is out now. It is the inside story of how Donald J. Trump a billionaire living on Fifth Avenue, identified the struggle of blue-collar Americans and won the presidency. I highly recommend it. Grab a copy now. It's available at all good bookstores and on Amazon. Pete Davidson has opened up about his split with Ariana Grande. Now, the SNL star talked about the relationship during his first appearance since the pair parted ways in a shock that stunned Hollywood. He took to the stage and co-hosted a comedy show in West Hollywood, and he told the audience, quote, well, as you could tell, I don't want to be here. There's a lot going on. He added, does anybody have any open rooms looking for a roommate? taking a tongue-in-cheek approach at the end of his relationship with Ariana Grande. But I wanted to dig a little deeper on this and try and understand the psychology behind such a split. And joining me on the line is Dr. Catherine Smerling, a New York City-based psychotherapist who specialises in creating healthy and meaningful relationships. It was a split that stunned Hollywood, uh, Dr. Smerling, and it came out that the toll of Mac Miller, Ariana Grande's former partner, and his untimely death may have played a big part in why they decided to call it quits. I wanted to ask you, why would there be such a profound effect on the relationship? First of all, I don't believe that Ariana Grande had time to uh, to grieve. If you look at what has transpired in her life in the last year, it has been tumultuous on a world stage. First, we had May 2017, the Manchester concert and the explosion, which she handled pretty well publicly, but God knows how she handled it emotionally um, on the inside. And then we have her Mac Miller split in May 2018. And then we have his death in September of 2018. Those are world crises. These are big human crises. This is not just a walk in the park for this young girl. And uh, no matter how accomplished she is as a performer, she still is only 24, 25 years old. And this is a toll if you don't process this and work with a professional to basically separate your feelings from the events that have happened. It is also possible that she feels guilty about Mac Miller's overdose, that maybe it was something she said or something she did 
or maybe it was their lack of um, a relationship that, that helped push him over the edge. There's a lot of guilt when it comes to surviving other people's uh, suicides. At the same time, though, it must be said that it is a brave decision to end the relationship in her instance because she wasn't perhaps emotionally able to continue it. So that was in many ways a very brave move as well. Very brave. And if you look at um, Pete, and very grown up, if you look at Pete Davidson's life, he has he has also had a very tumultuous emotional um, emotional last years, and both of them had broken up with other people and went right in. I think after a month to get engaged, and that's definitely a rebound relationship. And I think it was very thoughtful of her to break it off with Pete, despite the tattoos and all the publicity and everything else that was surrounding her relationship. Um, it seemed more of a, like, uh, almost like a high of a publicity relationship than an actual thoughtful and real one. And yes, I, I, and it's also brave of her to remove herself from social media. That was brave because she's taking a break from that as well. What, what effect does social media have on people in, in circumstances like this, especially celebrities that are catapulted unwittingly into the headlines as a result of life decisions they make? Well, I, I think in many ways, and um, they start to believe their own publicity, and it becomes larger than life. The social media becomes the third person in a relationship, and it's not really about two people intimately exploring the possibilities of spending their life together, but it becomes a um, kind of a media circus. In, in which, um, you know, in which they live for what they are going to tell the media rather than how they deal with the reality. So, um, it, it, you know, you start to believe your own publicity kind of. Yeah. And it's, it, it has a very deleterious effect. It really takes away from the humanity and it puts it into the realm of larger than life. Well, somehow I sense this will not be the last that we hear of Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande. Dr. Catherine Smerling, thank you very much for joining us on All Rise. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Don't forget, you can subscribe to All Rise on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. This has been Episode 1, Season 2 of All Rise, the only podcast with the guts to tell it like it is.